as we cover many an insane movie and numerous cult TV phenomenons. Are you ready to get jacked up? Are you with us? Then listen on. doesn't slow down does it um so he- here with me today for our special uh 10 list is beverly gray uh beverly and um movie land blog uh former roger corman employee and um uh her uh books such as uh blood sucking cockroaches and uh, uh <laughs> <That's right. laughs> roger corman uh, Blood yeah, sorry. I, 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 I killers. Get it right. I know. I didn't get it right. Um, <laughs> and uh, screenwriter and yeah, blogger and author. Um, how are you today? And <laughs> I am as good as one can be in current times. Uh, yes, it, it's like when I run. Added to COVID <laughs> at the end of it. You fade out every once in a while, or your voice. Yeah, yeah, close. yeah. I just noticed just now. Uh, 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 yeah, yeah. It's like one of Roger's or disaster movies. <laughs> then he added a. Yeah, we're not becoming mutant monsters just yet from this virus, but you never know. <laughs> yeah, that's a thought. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get Charles Band has already jumped on that on a zombie being a movie. <laughs> oh, um, and, and it's just so cool. Uh, I've just again, once again, like like I said before, it's just been always a delight uh, reading your take on various classic noir. Done by your, uh, you know, Miss Robinson retrospect book, as well as uh, your just individual blog posts and how different formulas are repeated, you know, decades later and become either award-winning movies or just current movie trends. And it's just been cool seeing you do that retrospect. Whatever. From, you know, Star is Born to, you know, The Revenant and all that other stuff. Just seeing how so many B-pictures got reimagined indirectly. And as well as just, uh, again, just certain tropes and cliches that we as moviegoers embrace. We like seeing that kind of subgenre kind of movies, you know, survival movies, uh, romance movies, westerns, all that. So it's really been 
retrospect on that as a whole. Thank you very much. Hi. Uh, we're here to discuss <laughs> uh, uh, Ron Howard. What are his 10 best pitches? <laughs> Well, should I start with that? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll let yeah. you start off uh, number 10. <laughs> oh, so I have to work backwards. I mean, we can, uh, if you want to work up just from number one to later, uh, I, that's fine too. I just, <laughs> okay. Uh, I got five. I got five. So. Yeah, well, we, we may overlap, though. We may have some of the same five. So that's we'll have to fight that out then. Uh, 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 no, I'll, I'll come up with an alternative if you name a movie that... Okay. Uh, <laughs> all right, my, my number five movie is one of the more recent ones that Ron Howard has made. It's very different. One thing I should say about Ron Howard, from the first time he became a filmmaker, he did not want to be typecast. He was, as an actor, certainly was typecast. As a director, I think that's one of the reasons he loved directing, that he could choose projects that were all over the map. He could choose big stories and little stories and funny things and exactly. things. Uh, and he wanted to be versatile, and he certainly has proved to be versatile. So... Number five on my list is from 2008. It's a small movie uh, based on a play, based on a historical moment, an important historical moment. It's called Frost Nixon. Frost slash Nixon. Oh, yeah. Great pick. <laughs> the minute you said play, I'm like, oh, here we go. And yeah. uh, it stars Frank Langella as Richard Nixon of uh, having a kind of surprisingly in-depth series of conversations with the radio host, David Frost, who is played by Michael Sheen. So there are other people in the movie as well, but the heart of the movie is the relationship between these two and our close look at a very important historical figure, Richard Nixon, dealing with anger, regret, all sorts of things as he looked back on his failed presidency or presidency that he was required to abandon in a, a certain very important part of our nation's history. So it, it's a powerful little movie. It was certainly recognized as such. Five Oscar nominations didn't get any prizes, but a respected little intimate psychological film very well put um uh, it, it's definitely one it's just joy seeing how it's all staged and, and you know i've seen some rare naysay when they talk about oh the speech isn't followed direct verbatim it's like well that's okay you know it's going to be dramatic dramatized at some point or another so I mean as long as you are into the movie you want to know what's happening you know how it ends that that is a rare feat to make a movie that stunning that uh, captivating and uh, uh, it, I also like how Howard's uh, master class he even 
redoes scenes from this movie for, you know, the students taking the class and he has professional actors reenacted and he shows how to stage it for low budget versus big budget. It's it's very captivating. If you can ever see that lesson, if you even want the login, I'll give it to you. It's, it's great. I would love that. <laughs> I, I would love to see how he handled that and how he teaches that. Uh, I, I, that sounds wonderful to me and I thank you in advance. By all means, yeah. Um, uh, and and like, like you say, it's it, it, it's definitely one of the few movies it's like based on a play but it doesn't read as such and that's not to be an anti you know play reference or anything it's just you know some stuff adapts well some of it you, you know you got to be very familiar with the material before you watch it and uh, it's just one of those you, you jump right in and it, it's just you could have sworn it was written by you know one of Aaron Sorkin or some or Robert Town, but it's just it, it it dazzles. It's that's a good pick. Yeah, actually, I should mention who it was written by. It was written by Peter Morgan, who has made a very nice career for himself. He's British, and he's made quite a career for himself writing about the British royal family. A lot of those things. Um, nice. Yes, having to do with I think the movie The Queen for one. And I believe the TV series The Crown as well. I mean, he's kind of oh, okay. So the guy knows something about powerful, famous figures and how to bring them to the screen. All right. Okay. Uh, do, do you say one, or do I continue? Uh, I'll I'll let you continue that the this episode. Just you know, okay. uh, that way I don't overlap or make it. All right. To... Okay. Number four, interestingly enough, I discovered is also written by Peter Morgan and is also a recent film. This is the most recent film on my list. And I must say, I haven't seen every single recent Ron Howard movie and some that I have seen, I haven't much cared for. I think he's tried things that haven't worked. Uh, the Western, The Missing, I'm not crazy about. Uh, yeah. The Da Vinci Code, I think he did about as well as you can do with a plot that always struck me as kind of silly, uh, right. but, but silly in a in a grandiose way, in an operatic Exactly. Yeah. So there's a lot of stuff he's made. And then he's also, I should add, made several documentaries recently, sometimes on subjects that surprised me. He's made uh, a documentary about the popularity of the Beatles as they toured the U.S., and the documentary about the opera singer Pavarotti, and also just recently, brand new, a film uh, about the rebuilding of Paradise, California, which was destroyed destroyed in one of our many California fires recently. So yes, very much so. Things. Yes, but this movie from 2013 didn't get as much acclaim as I would have hoped. But again, very different from Ron Howard. It's a movie that doesn't seem like a Ron Howard movie, a Ron Howard subject, but it's exciting as all get out, and that is Rush. Yeah, uh, that's one where basically, you know, uh, whatever uh, you're, you're thinking, it's definitely one of those where he decided to take a very key racing event and uh you know get very uncanny actors to be in the role um 
Uh, I'll let you take it away. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, no problem. It's, it's an action film. It is something of a biopic in the sense that the, the rivalry, which he's writing about, is about two very different kinds of racers, Formula One racers in Europe. One is played by Chris Hensworth. He plays someone named James Hunt. And I am not a racing fan. I do not know anything about Formula One racing. That's, I guess, a pick, a uh, feature of how good this movie is, that I was enthralled by this movie. And I don't give a damn about the subject. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, and Daniel Brühl, who plays Nicky Lauda, the, uh, I believe, Austrian um, racer, who's Chris Henworth. The one he plays is the kind of the devil-may-care British guy, you know, lots of sex appeal and, and kind of daring and crazy. And Mickey Lauda, as played by Daniel Brühl, is the one who is kind of an introspective guy, very almost a, almost a robotic guy. He's like one with the car. He, he's, he's, he was also in the... Technical ma master. Yeah, he was also in the WikiLeaks movie the same year. So, yeah, interesting guy. actor. Uh, but the movie climaxes in a very dramatic race in Tokyo, as I recall, uh, in the rain. And just watching that movie, and I watched it in a theater, and it really is something that ideally you should see in the theater. I saw it in one of those theaters with couches, and so there I was on my couch just you know, feeling like I was out on the racetrack in the rain with, you know, it was a thrilling movie. Yeah, very true. It's definitely, uh, I think once again, this is, you know, much like Frost Nixon can interest anyone regardless of their interest in politics. This is definitely one, you know, kind of like a boxing movie, you know, you'll, you might find it interesting even if not the most into racing. That's um, right. And uh, I might have to give this one another go. Just see it again. Yeah. See, see how it's aged. Um, yeah. Okay. All right. Almost. I'm on number three. Uh, I, and I had a problem with number three because I wanted to choose a comedy. I wanted to choose one of those movies that I could just watch for pleasure. And he's made a lot of those. And so I'm going to squeeze a lot of things into the same category. Uh, this is <laughs> what used to be thought of as typical Ron Howard, particularly early in his career, uh, starting in the um, around 1980. Uh, movies that are fun, charming, amiable, um, and have great people in them. So. I'll, I'll name a few and I'll tell you which one I think maybe belongs on the list. One I have not seen in a long time, but I remember it oh so fondly. And, and I believe I've heard they're going to try to remake it. Uh, oh, really? Flash from 1984. That's with, of course, Tom Hanks, the, at that time, TV guy, Tom Hanks. Uh, he was not a big movie star when he made this movie. It made him, a, it gave him a career. Uh, as the young boy, young man who is afraid of swimming and who falls in love with a mermaid. It's got the sweetest ending. It's just a lovely, lovable movie. 
and really set Ron Howard off. It's not his first movie as a director by any means, but it's, it's his first big time movie. Uh, yeah. Uh, is there someone walking up and downstairs in the background? Sorry, I'm. Oh, it, heard a, I heard no, a bunch of thumbs. What you're hearing, if you're hearing something here, it's because there's a very big construction project next door. Oh, okay. I'm so yeah, sorry. Yeah, so okay. I can't do anything about that. No, no, uh, uh, it, that's all good. Uh, you sounded fine. I just heard every once in a while a thump, thump. I'm like, that's oh, what it oh. is. Yes, I live with that uh, and have for the last year. Uh, the second, but yeah, second uh, one. Uh, on this group is um, a movie that Ron Howard, who loves to be in charge, this was a project that came to him. He didn't have as quite as much control over it as, as he had subsequently, but it helped to really make him. The movie is Cocoon from 1985, which is about, well, I guess one reason I like the movie is it treats old people with dignity. And as a teacher of screenwriting, I've read across an awful lot of scripts about adorable oldsters, and I really hate them, especially as I get older myself. Uh, but it, it treats some wonderful, wonderful actors like Donna Michi, who won an Oscar for this, Jack Guilford, Maureen Stapleton, Hume Cronin, Jessica Tandy, uh, fabulous actors, and it's about people who've reached a point in their lives when their bodies are falling apart, and they find the magic that will allow them to live forever, and it involves leaving Earth and going to another planet. So it's all, could be considered kind of cornball, but it's, it's a movie with real heart and real beauty, and I should particularly salute Wilfred Brimley, who's fabulous in it. There is the scene where he tells his little grandson goodbye is one of the mo most moving scenes you can ever imagine. And I should also mention that it says something about Ron Howard, the scene. Apparently each of these, you know, he was quite young when he directed this and he was rather intimidated by directing these really famous people. I believe they had been cast before he came aboard and I mean, these, these are legendary actors, and he at first wasn't quite sure if they'd listened to him. Uh, exactly. But, he, uh, those what, last what, two movies... Uh, sorry, go ahead. Uh, uh, one thing he uh, discovered is that each of them approached acting differently. Jack Guilford had been in vaudeville. He had his way of doing things. Hume Cronin, whom I had the pleasure of meeting once also, is a very serious, analytic guy. He had it all worked out. Um, Don Amici, you know, he, he made his mark in the 30s and 40s. Uh, he, uh, he was used to being directed. Tell me what to do and I'll do it. So each of them was different. Uh, and Don exactly. Amici is the one who ends up, and also I love the fact that there's a scene Somehow the, the part of the fountain of youth aspect of it has to do with this magic substance in a swimming pool. And there's a scene where some of these old guys are having soaked in this elixir are now acting like teenagers. And Ron had gone out and gotten stunt doubles for them so that they could do all this stuff, you know, diving and cannonballs and romping around, and they were insulted. And they said, what do you mean? We can do these things. Uh, 
And they could, and they did. And Don Amici, part of the reason he won an Oscar is for this great scene where he break dances, uh, you know, at the age of, I think he was in his late 70s or early 80s. So very sweet, sweet movie, maybe corny, but uh, one that had a lot to do with moving Ron Howard forward in Hollywood and just a movie you can't help loving. And by the way, there's a terrible sequel he had nothing to do with. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and it's funny you bring up those two because those were both shot by uh, his recurring uh, cinematographer, uh, Don Peterman, who's probably better known for uh, Star Trek IV, uh, Flashdance, uh-huh. Men in Black, Point Break, and Get Shorty. Um, and, That's, you know. One thing I've yeah. learned about Ron Howard, uh, he is exactly as nice as you would hope that he is, which doesn't mean he's not in control, that he's not the boss, but this is a nice guy. This is a guy who really believes in collaboration and he uses the same people again and again and again. Uh, his editors, I think, have been with him consistently uh, for years, his staff. Yeah. Everyone loves that's him. Actually, and that's very well stated because that he, he goes to town in terms of the talking about that on his uh, master class as well just how you know uh give let everyone know that they mean something to the production you know and it, it, he really does state it constantly because he wants to you know uh help every kind of person during the uh classroom meeting and at the same time this is an online virtual class for those in the listen um and, and yeah, he, he talked about how he didn't know everything and just complimented how, you know, you got to keep learning, got to keep seeing, getting an idea of how people take a while to get certain stuff done. But, you know, deflate the ego a bit and just, you know, avoid any kind of conflict by allow, you know, he would always tell the actors, you know, please, you know, what. You know, he would keep asking their opinions, you know, making it clear, I do value it, you know. I'm just because I'm in charge doesn't mean I know all the whole thing. Well, at the same time, not letting anyone stop on over him. And, you know, he, he, he mentioned he rarely had had any kind of issues working with any kind of actor. And it's like, that's great, you know. <laughs> Including Russell Crowe. They, they love each other. Uh, let me tell you my favorite Ron Howard story that I unearthed when I was working on the book. I found a technical guy, his name is Garth Thorpe, he's a special effects guy, and uh, he had worked on How the Grinch Stole Christmas, which is not on my list of favorites, I must say. (laughs) Um, uh, Garth came aboard, Ron Howard had not done a huge amount of special effects work, uh, not like the Grinch, and so he had a lot of new people on this set and he called them together and he said, this is how it works on my set. He said, we're all in this together. It's a collaborative medium. If you have any ideas, I want to hear them. If you have something, if you see a problem in the making, I want to hear about it. You know, that's the way it is. And Garv, was not an innocent at this point, and he had just come off some other big budget movie, and he he thought that, you know, he had heard, he was not naive, he had heard those words before from a lot of other Hollywood directors, 
And then what ended up happening, of course, is when you followed through and you had your ideas and you had your, you know, your sharing of concerns, you'd get the usual director being the usual jerk. That's the way he put it. But to his great surprise, <laughs> for the first time in his career, this was true in a Ron Howard movie. This was absolutely true. And other people can pay lip service to this idea of collaboration. But in a Ron Howard film, it's what really happens. And then the other really moving part of the story is poor Garve uh, had to leave the production at the midpoint because he was diagnosed with cancer. And he had to go through various treatments and the shoot kept on going for months and months. And they still continued to pay him, which was really decent. Uh, and at a certain point, he realized that he was getting better, that he was bored out of his mind. And was there any way he could come back? And they said, great, come on back. We're so glad to see you. He said, I'm so sorry that I missed being a part of that shoot from start to finish. But on the other hand, what I was going through in my own life, I don't know how I could have handled it without the graciousness of this, the kind of the Ron Howard family. So I'm always happy to tell people what a special guy this is. Well, it's funny you bring that up. I think he does briefly touch on it. Obviously not as detailed as you beautifully stated it, but I, I'm just saying I, I think he did. Uh, he he does hit on how it's like this is work, but it doesn't have to be a chore. It you know, this is going to be a long, but it doesn't have to feel like eternity. He he does he does hit on a lot of stuff like that, and so that 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 makes my night. It's good to know that he made someone who you know had had a successful career with hit and miss you know talent, and got to go out you know on a highlight saying hey I finally worked with someone who's you know is talent both talented and just the nice person so yeah. that that really makes my day that that's that's great glad so. you share that all right um again all these comedies i've squished together this one's probably the best um probably the one if i had to pick one i would pick parenthood from 1989 it's just a movie with a lot of wonderful actors, and it's, it's interesting how this film came about. It came about because Ron, who has four children, his producing partner, uh, I'm forgetting his first name. Oh, Brian Brian Grazer. Brian yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And the writing, a writing team, they were all on a flight. I think they were working on Willow, and they between them all they had tons of children they everybody had young children and they were just sort of sharing some of the crazy and awful and wonderful things that happened when you had a big family unit uh, and that everybody contributed something to the story which became a story of this big extended family with steve martin at its center um, and jason robards is the old father and you know, good parents and bad parents and good kids and bad kids and uh, a lot of lovely, lovely actors. It's it's a very sweet, a very human movie. And I was thinking now yeah, how much I'd yeah. like to see it again. <laughs> yeah, inspired a TV show with right. the same name. And But, yes. I mean, the, this is one of the few rare, you know, early 90s movies where you're talking about, you know, very mature subject matter and you're just having to show just 
the natural ability of it, uh, naturalness, the uh, how it's not always comfortable to talk about, and it's like, and you, know, you have your funny moments, you have your, your you know dramatic moments, and so that was an interesting balance to have to strike and have to have various you know, you know cast and very unrecognizable you know moments doing all kinds of stuff that you typically don't see them in those kind of roles even since then. So it was interesting seeing how he had a lot to kind of tackle and approach and just tread very carefully because it was very careful material. It's like, yeah, everyone's had an embarrassing moment like this growing up or heard about something like that, you know. <laughs> yeah, and some of the stories are not funny at all, but some are hilarious and some are simultaneously both. Some you might laugh afterwards saying, remember so-and-so taking on that kind of role? You know, it's like... Yeah, yeah. And, and, and everybody's and, in it. Mary Steenburgen's in it, Keanu Reeves is in it, and I should mention, there was a kid I remember, the troubled like, preteen, whose name was Leith Phoenix. And of course, his name actually is River, is, um, is Joaquin Phoenix, but he was calling himself Leith at that point. <laughs> with the rest of his family, so... Watch for him if you see that movie. I will. I will watch. I, I've been due for a rewatch, so I will definitely. Oh, it's actually on yeah. Showtime this month. So I'll, I'll just end. I won't go uh, at great length, but two others that are relatively light and quite funny at, at, in moments. One is the paper from 1994. Um, again, an ensemble cast headed by Michael Keaton about uh, the newspaper biz. Ron Howard. As a high schooler, was a, a student journalist and always loved everything to do with newspapers. And I think he had a, a lot of pleasure writing about this little big uh, New York City paper and the big New York City paper that's, that's trying to lure uh, Michael Keaton away. And his wife, Marissa Tomei, is about to give birth any second, and, uh, but she's a... a an ace reporter. Uh, wow. Okay. Uh, yeah. So it, it's not one that everybody's seen, but it's it's a lot of fun, and it certainly is a, a tribute to good journalism. And the final one in this kind of comedy block, which nobody seems to like it as much as I do, and, and part of its misfortune is that it came out in the same year as another movie on a similar topic. And the other movie was The Truman Show, and this movie is Ed TV from 1999. Uh, it is a really, really funny movie about a guy who volunteers to be on camera 24-7, and the entire country starts watching and commenting and directing his life. And uh, there's something quite contemporary about it. Obviously, it's reflecting those reality TV trends, but in a way that is quite funny. Matthew McConaughey stars in it. Uh, I'm, yeah, uh, it's uh, definitely came out at the life. right time. Oh. If, Jenna, if you, what, what's her name? What's the female lead's name? Um, uh, I think it's Huffman. And... She's, um, isn't she in Dharma and Greg? Her name? Yeah, yeah, that... That's what I said, Jenna Elfman, yeah. Oh, Jenna Elfman, yes, yes. And uh, Woody Harrelson plays Matthew McConaughey's brother, which is a great combination right there. 
Uh, yeah. yeah. Just and, uh, a completely light movie. The Truman Show is a great deal more serious, which is maybe, and it came out first, which is why it got more attention. Uh, <laughs> and I also liked the advertising campaign for EdTV, which was shame on you, which I thought was quite clever. All right. Well, that's, that's a good point because, I mean, it definitely came out like a at the right time when everyone was kind of embracing material of this. And I think you could have only done it back then because if you did it now, you would have to pretty much the selling point would be, you would have to have some kind of gimmick or there'd have to be something else that you had to mention, you know, that's more modern day. And it's like this yeah. movie, you know, it's making references, but it, you know, it's not relying on them. It, it's, it's its own movie. We'll return after these messages. Hey, feeling down? Feeling low? Not enough podcasts about movies in your life? Why not try... They must be destroyed on sight! The new Podcast Cure-All. Sure to get you right with the world and on a path to better living. We have exploitation. We have Italian horror. We have zombies. We have slashers. We have crime films. We have spaghetti westerns. We even have sci-fi and sex comedies. So take a dose of... They must be destroyed on sight! As needed, and let the hosts, Lee Russell, Daniel Harper, Paul Romali, and the odd guest host, Cure What Ails Ya. Warning, may cause atrophy, African consumption, black fever, bone shave, chin puff, colic, cramp colic, dropsy of the brain, elephantitis, grocer's itch, jaundice, mania, miasma, mortification, palsy, pox disease, rheumatism, scurvy, St. Anthony's fire, summer complaint, and worm fit in some people. Consult a physician before listening. Hey, I heard you like movies. I heard you like to hustle. I heard you like podcasts. Well, guess what? There's a podcast for you out there called The Home Video Hustle. Damn right. Every Friday, we talk about whatever movie PJ picks out the bag. What does that mean? Every Wednesday on our YouTube page, I put a bunch of movies in a bag, and PJ picks one out at random. And then we just watch it. We talk about it for maybe like an hour, hour and a half, two hours. Whatever we feel like doing, wherever the conversation leads us. But do we actually talk about the movie? Most of the time. Ah. Tangents galore. Yes. So believe me, we may be a movie podcast, but it's not always about movies. We might talk about video games. Mm-hmm. Music. music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. the big one, music. Uh, sometimes we might get a little bit of politicalness in there. Yes. Sometimes we may just, oh, we know what we like to do. We like to tell stories, PJ. Ah, yes. I am the master storyteller <laughs> yes. of the podcast realm. <laughs> Undefeated. So if you like to hear about movies, video games, whatever foolishness comes to our mind, the most random stuff you can think of, check out the Home Video Hustle. You can find us on the Stitchers. Yes. The Google Play. Yes. Apple Podcasts. What else? Podbean. What else? Podcast Addict. Goddamn. All that. Ain't no reason you can't get your hustle on. We everywhere. Worldwide, baby. Hustle, motherfucking hustle. Hey, we can't cuss in the promo, PJ. Ah. We gotta be family friendly. There may be podcasts out there that don't want his hair to say. Ah. 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 All that good fun stuff. <laughs> well, you. Yeah. <laughs> no, don't, don't run the listeners away, PJ. Ah, I'm sorry. But this is going kind of long. Yes. So we'll end this and say, hey, check out the Home Video Hustle every Friday on all the various podcast outlets. Peace. Peace. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. And while Witch didn't make it to the top of the world, he 
did make the Gangs of Hollywood podcast. So join the gang and enjoy a movie review podcast about movie gangs, gangsters, mobsters, and the mayhem they cause. You can find GOH Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at GOHpod at www.gohpod.com as well as your favorite podcast listening app. And remember, say hello to your little friend for me. Take two old punk rockers who are past their prime, put them in front of a movie screen, and give them a podcast. What do you get? Cinema punks. Cinepunks. It's the mixtape of movies. Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Oh, necrophilia. Oh, oh, oh. It's a dead issue, man. Don't don't push it. Cinema PsyOps is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in it. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get out of it. unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you shouldn't be. I'm not entirely sure even 17-year-olds should be watching this. Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this, like, little nerd glee with everything that kept Little history doll yeah, popping up absolutely. at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you, you know, couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped watching this shit at 12 years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was How did you watch movie. this shit at 12? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops. It's late, it's time, let's check our cue, baby Pair it with a couple brews, baby We love good movies We love the bad ones, too So we watch them all and pass their lessons on to you Oh, yeah Everything I learned from movies Helps to make life a little bit groovy With a one-lapse plot holes of gratuitous boobies It's time to get busy with your friend Stephen At eilfm.podbean.com We now continue with our program. Follow us on the web on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The podcast is available on Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Anchor, Apple, and anywhere else podcasts are available. Feel free to review our show and leave comments on any of those sites. 
Thanks a million for listening. It's a